Yeah, I mean, South Dakota is pretty open. There's not a lot of restrictions on anything. That's just kind of how it, it's been throughout this whole pandemic. The city of Sioux Falls has a few other restrictions that are set. There's a mask mandate, which we adhere to. But other than that, there's no specific restrictions other than things that we want to put in place to make sure that our guests are comfortable and feel safe coming here. Hello and welcome to the Box Office Podcast. I'm Rebecca Polly, Deputy Editor at Box Office Pro, the only magazine dedicated exclusively to the interests of global theatrical exhibition. I'm joined today by Daniel Loria, Editorial Director of Box Office Pro. And uh, Daniel, this is actually the second time we are recording this intro because some really big news broke a few hours after we recorded it the first time. New York City is going to be opening soon. I'm, I'm so happy. I mean, I'm, I'm thrilled about it, but it's not as simple as just saying movie theaters can reopen by a certain date in New York City and the global market is back up and running. There are very strict operating restrictions in New York State that still apply to New York City. Rebecca, we've been tracking this story since the start. Can you walk us through that timeline of reopening movie theaters in the whole state of New York and how it applies to New York City? Theaters in New York City started closing on March 13th. A few days later, on March 16th, came the official order from Mayor de Blasio, all the theaters in New York City have to shut down. And from there, you, you know, we crickets for, for months and months as to when these cinemas might be allowed to reopen. Then last October, Cuomo releases a statement saying, okay, if counties hit a certain benchmark in terms of case numbers in New York State, those movie theaters can reopen again. If, if they hit those benchmarks and if the numbers, you know, stay where they need to be over a period of a couple weeks except theaters in New York City, which did not fall under that rubric. Cuomo was just completely silent on what sort of timeline would apply to New York City. And today, months later, Monday, February 22nd, is, is the first time we're hearing anything. So uh, they're going to be able to open in New York City uh, starting on March 5th, which is, is frankly less notice than I anticipated theaters would get. And they will be allowed to open at 25% capacity. So it's been an interesting afternoon tracking that because it dealt very sudden. Yeah, it, it really took us by surprise, a very pleasant and positive surprise, of course. But those operating restrictions, I think, are going to be very difficult for exhibitors, especially in New York City, where real estate is quite expensive. You have a 25% capacity per auditorium. That means no more than 50 people, even if you have a very large auditorium, you have a max capacity of 50 at each screening. The finances of that are going to be very difficult. The operating restrictions are very strict here in New York, and they will apply to New York City. We're talking about very significant investments in air filtration systems. The finances of that are going to be very, very complicated for exhibitors to get back up and running. And NATO, the National Association of Theater Owners, responding to the news in a statement really reflected that stance, right? That the industry looks forward to getting to a 50% capacity in New York City whenever it's safe to do so, because really that's going to be the first step 
or let's call it the next step in a recovery. 25%, I'm not sure how many cinemas will be able to make it work at that level. I, I agree completely. Baby steps are good, but we're definitely going to need more more transparency on this point moving forward. And just the fact that there's been any movement towards uh, towards theaters reopening in New York, you know, makes me think, of course, what's Regal going to do? Because Regal's still closed across the entire country. Though actually today also there's been another announcement that could affect that. Prime Minister Boris Johnson of the UK has given a timeline for when cinemas can reopen in that country. So we're looking at drive-ins as early as April 12th and then indoor cinemas as early as May 17th. Now, if the numbers don't stay to where they need to be, that could easily be pushed back. But we're looking at conceivably the UK cinema market opening back up by May 17th, of course, at limited capacity. So it's the home country of Cineworld, which owns Regal. So that's kind of a one-two punch of, you know, there. I, I would want to definitely see the conversations that are happening behind the scenes there. But yeah, we're looking at UK opening back up soon, New York City opening up sooner than we thought. And then uh, Quebec also is going to be opening up real soon at, uh, at limited capacity on February 26th, but notably you cannot have concessions. Within a couple days, we've had three pretty key reopening announcements. In terms of those dates in New York and Quebec, those are firm dates that we can count on that we're moving forward with. With the UK dates, there's a big asterisk there because let's not forget France was in a similar situation. France over the fall and the winter had to go dark once again. The French government has in multiple occasions given new reopening dates and timelines that the country hasn't met. So it's good to have a roadmap of where we can be. Uh, obviously, it's a race in vaccinations right now. The UK is actually outpacing the United States in their vaccination effort. But as we know, there is a highly contagious variant spreading in that market right now. So we'll be uh, keeping track of the situation with the UK reopening in May. Meanwhile, uh, domestically, it comes at a very positive time for the market, the New York City reopening. Over the weekend, we had a very, very slow response from audiences and going back to the movies once again with the title, The Crudes, A New Age, which has been in release now for 13 weeks topping the box office for the second week in a row here. Rebecca, what I found most surprising here wasn't the fact that The Croods won once again, but Nomadland, one of the top contenders for the Academy Awards released by Searchlight Pictures, actually refused to provide box office numbers over the weekend for their big expansion. A very curious decision, and that's actually a decision that breaks with tradition, a tradition that's been going on for decades here of open access to data, open visibility, so the market can understand what's happening, what isn't happening, how audiences are re responding. Uh, Searchlight, which is now owned by Disney, refusing to provide any box office data points for the weekend to trade publication outlets like ourselves. I hope this isn't something that's going to keep on happening, especially because we've got Raya coming up that will provide us uh, another data point in, in this recovery effort. And in May, just two weekends before that UK reopening, Black Widow. So I'll be very curious to see 
how box office is reported by Disney and other studios moving forward, I personally don't think it's at all helpful right now during a crisis for studios to keep this sort of information to themselves, to break from tradition. It's not at all helpful for a global industry that's really wanting to get back up and running and can use as much open data points as possible. I think the PR hit that Disney would have taken for not too many people seeing Nomadland isn't anywhere near as damaging as uh, trade outlets not being able to openly know where the cinema recovery is. I I completely agree, though. I I will say uh, we started this episode with something positive, and I'm happy to say that we're going to end it with something positive, (laughs) Uh, a kind of heartwarming story. Uh, I feel like this is good for all of our blood pressures here. So yes, studios, please report your box office numbers. But also, we're moving on to our main feature for this week, and that is the State Theater. Founded in 1926, the State Theater was for years a staple of the local film community, bringing movies and, in its early years, vaudeville to downtown Sioux Falls, South Dakota. The one-screen movie palace stayed a first-run movie theater for decades, even through the tumultuous 1970s, when a nationwide trend towards suburbanization caused many downtown movie palaces to turn to exploitation or risque content in order to stay open. In the 1980s, competition from newly built multiplexes and a lack of investment in updated equipment led to the state becoming a discount theater. In the 90s, it closed its doors. But, thankfully, not for good. The nonprofit group Sioux Falls State Theater Company has, for years, worked to bring the theater behind the state's iconic Sioux Falls marquee back to life. And in December, the state opened its doors to customers once again, beginning a new chapter in the life of a historic movie palace. We're joined today by Allison Wyland, executive director of the State Theater, and Stephen Dahlmeyer, its general manager. Allison and Stephen, uh, thank you so much for for being on the podcast today. To start off, I mean, I know it's an old theater that has been through a process of restoration. Could you give me kind of a, a rundown of the history of the state and the history of the uh, the restoration efforts leading up to December 2020 when you were able to reopen again? It opened in 1926. It was a grand movie palace in the area. Um, People would come from all over to see the State Theater. It had vaudeville productions and of course had like the silent films with a organ, which we still have. We still, we need to restore the organ yet, but um, it was a part of one of the amazing features here. And it thrived for decades. You know, Um, it was a centerpiece, a staple in our downtown. And then just like a lot of these single screen movie palaces, uh, it it closed down officially in, in 1990. So since then, concerned citizens, organizations, and just individuals have really rallied around the project to try to preserve it, save it from demolition, and bring it back to life as as a movie theater. So this last year, um, we've been able to do the restoration, bringing it back to how it looked originally in 1926, um, and, and open the doors again for the public. There was a really great story uh, on the state's theater in uh, on the South Dakota Public Broadcasting website. I was wondering if you could talk a bit about that story of like the color matching and what you went through to like find the original colors that were in the state theater so you could replicate them. 
Yeah, we worked with a company called Conrad Schmidt, and they do this. This is, you know, professionals to go and they're like detectives um, peeling back layers and layers of paint to see what was originally there. You can't look at a photo from 1926, get your color scheme or a lot of the details um, like of the stencil work. So they go and find lots of places throughout the theater and see what the colors are. And there are so many colors in the auditorium. It, it was crazy. I mean, uh, how many different shades of greens and browns and tans and oranges. I mean, you, you couldn't have guessed what they found. They found up in one of the organ lofts, the chambers, a, an old rag, basically, with little specks of blue, like a cobalt blue that they've been trying to match. And they're like, well, this, this is it. I mean, a painter probably was using it originally and got some paint on it and luck, luckily left it there and no one had touched it. So um, just to confirm those assumptions. So if, if anyone like, God forbid, ha has done a lot of renovations on a theater and then has to close it, just leave some rags with paint on them laying around. So anyone coming <laughs> yeah, around a couple decades later everywhere. will know what to do. That's all you need. Really. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's interesting to hear how um, the long history of the theater opening in 1926, being one of those uh, first houses to convert the sound in 1928. It's really one of those places in, in U.S. history, not only film history, that is a part of the community and a part of the American story in the 20th century. I was wondering if you guys could take us back and situate our listeners and let us know a little bit about your own community, uh, Sioux Falls in South Dakota. What's it like? How many people live there? And what's the cinema scene like over the years? Yeah, I guess uh, Sioux Falls is located on the southeast corner of uh, South Dakota, right on, next to the Minnesota and Iowa border. The city itself is around 190,000. The metro area is about 250,000. A relatively a small community in the big picture, but in the region, we're a big community that drives a lot of the economy uh, for the eastern part of the state. And we get a lot of people that travel in from the region to come and visit, uh, including going to movies. We got a couple larger multiplexes, but we're the only single screen theater in Sioux Falls, and uh, we're really excited to, to finally be back open and, and bring some, some history back into Sioux Falls and to downtown Sioux Falls. How much of, of the character of the city and of the locals does the state play? Obviously, the multiplex, the, the suburban uh, flight that happened uh, you know, in the last 20, 30 years, that's a more recent thing. But the state, being there since 1926, what's its cultural role in the community? It's kind of funny, you know, it was closed for so many years and so many people like have just walked by it for, you know, ever. And so the marquee itself is like a, a very iconic of our downtown. Uh, it's on you Google Sioux Falls, South Dakota. It's one of the first images, you know, that will pop up. So the marquee is very much a cultural icon here. Uh, I think we are excited to bring the theater and the theater scene back to downtown and to be able to develop and evolve to what the community needs are now. I mean, since the state theater closed, even just the way we watch movies and people's expectations have changed just in that short amount of time. But we're finding there is still a huge want to come back and watch it 
in a movie theater and I feel like the some of the ticket price or some of the ticket goes to the movie. The other comes to they want to see the restoration of this beautiful theater. In terms of programming and running this theater, obviously it's a very old theater, but it's also kind of a, a rebirth in a way. You're kind of building something up from from nothing in terms of the theater being operational. As you go and look at these other theaters and how they operate, and as you look at where the exhibition landscape is now, which is obviously there's a lot changing with regards to windows, with regards to, you know, more cinemas playing titles from people like Netflix. Are you able to kind of almost pick and choose what from the theater operator playbook status quo you want to apply to the state? Yeah, I mean, we've been... uh doing a lot of experimenting. I mean, what works in Minneapolis isn't necessarily going to work in Sioux Falls, but, you know, some of these guys have been operating the same theater for 20 years and they know what they're doing. And so we're taking a lot of cues from a few of them and kind of intertwining them with what we think would work here. So a mix of uh, classics, you know, some of the cult classics from the 80s. Uh, We're starting with some new release that we're going to be bringing in with Minari, Nomadland, uh, which we're very excited about just to see what the people of Sioux Falls really want to uh, come in and experience and enjoy in a historic setting. I'm so upset. I saw Nomadland on my television. Oh, so upset. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Filmed in South Dakota as well. So we're really oh, excited right. to show it. Yeah, it's beautiful. You know, I, I think you're the only theater right now in, in the downtown city center, but there are megaplexes in the area In terms of programming, in terms of operations, what are you doing to differentiate yourself from them to convince people like, hey, don't go to them, come to us, or maybe in addition to going to them, come to us? Apart from the movie programming, we are the only one that has recliners, which obviously is a big draw. People love it. That's usually our number one uh, review is come check out the amazing seats. It's new for Sioux Falls. Uh, I know a lot of other theaters have those, but that seems to be a big draw. Plus, you know, just the beautiful setting. So it's more of an experience to come here versus a multiplex. And then we, you know, guest services is obviously high on our list to make sure everybody has a good experience uh, when they walk through the door. And then, you know, programming obviously is very important to that, just to make sure that what we bring in uh, complements the other programming in the city. Uh, Sometimes we do overlap but uh, we definitely try to just promote our uniqueness to try to draw people to come to our theater versus some of the other ones in town. You're not going to like screen Godzilla versus Kong, maybe. (laughs) No, we won't be bringing that in. (laughs) But that's interesting to hear in that we are in a moment right now in the recovery effort from this COVID crisis where every movie theater has to look at their programming and has to look at the screens they have available to see if the decreased capacity restrictions make sense. Obviously, for a single screen downtown cinema like yourselves, that's much more difficult. Now, there's two ways of thinking about it, and we've seen it in the box office. One is let's wait until the big studio titles come in. We get folks excited to come to the movies. A big studio marketing campaign happens. The blockbuster, it doesn't sell itself, but it it helps you in marketing the movie going experience. You guys opened in December. 
really under a different model in sort of programming. You're programming smaller titles, titles that are harder to get in front of audiences and that take a little bit more effort in marketing. How do the capacity restrictions work right now in South Dakota? And what does that mean in terms of you guys hitting your numbers week after week? Yeah, I mean, South Dakota is pretty open. There's not a lot of restrictions on anything. That's just kind of how it's been throughout this whole pandemic. The city of Sioux Falls has a few other restrictions that are set. There's a mask mandate, which we adhere to. But other than that, there's no specific restrictions other than things that we want to put in place to make sure that our guests are comfortable and feel safe coming here. So about capacity-wise, we're at about 35% is what we can fill. And we've been happily selling out shows uh, week after week with that capacity. Now, Allison, you mentioned that, I mean, obviously that the State Theater has been, you know, an institution in Sioux Falls. Its marquee is, is very recognizable. That said, the theater hasn't been in operation for decades. As you're reopening, how are you building awareness? What's your marketing strategy to say like, hey, we're here, we're safe? What have been the challenges of that? Because it, it seems like, you know, all these theaters are, are rightfully putting a lot of effort into maintaining their audience, even when, you know, they might be opened at limited capacity or not opened at all. The state didn't have an audience pre-existing in December when it opened up. Yeah, we've been a project for a number of years. So just switching that, you know, from project to a movie theater, um, our audience, our social media audience, getting them used to that uh, is something that we're just doing and will evolve over time. We still have to answer the question, what are you? You know, we're a nonprofit. It's two of us uh, managing and programming and just kind of making people aware of what and what we are. As far as building the audience, we're trying to program a real diverse program. So cult classics, children's movies, um, some new releases, things like that, just to let people know, hey, we're going to be doing everything. We're for everybody. This isn't an elite place for just, you know, that donor crowd. We want everyone to feel really comfortable here and to know that this is this the community's theater. It's one of those things that we always like to correct folks from talking about the industry, that when you talk about specialty film, when you talk about art houses or independent cinemas, there's this, I don't know, shorthand that it's a New York, L.A. thing, that it's a, it's part of a niche film culture. But really, if you if you look across the United States, there's so many examples of local communities and theaters like yourselves getting this programming and programming these films in communities that show up to these movies and, and support them. How did you know that this community was one of those that was looking for something beyond the multiplex in terms of programming, in terms of movie-going experiences before starting the project? It was really interesting to see so many great films not even have like a, a debut here, or it would be like a single night somewhere, like just one showing. There was a huge need for it. And also just the economy with our downtown. I mean, bringing a number of people in every day and through the weekend, is this is a huge boost for our community. So there was a want and a need for that too. You know, it's interesting hearing you say that. I, I come from a medium-sized city in, in Mexico where we have a very active 
film community there in the sense that there are a number of multiplexes, a large number of screens for the size of city we are, but the programming is also lacking in where the multiplexes definitely play a very important and leading role in film culture. Sometimes that's at the sacrifice of many films that the public wants to see. Ironically enough, a lot of screens in one site tend not to bring in a lot of programming. And it's single screens like yourselves coming in with one screen, one auditorium, and promoting this diverse and uh, inclusive programming that there is clearly an audience for in your communities. Yeah, we've been uh, very pleased with the turnout we bring in. We brought in Metropolis, Roma, Cinema Paradiso, Sound of Metal, a wide mix of film that people might not have seen on the big screen before or just haven't seen at all or been exposed to. And so we're excited that they're coming in not knowing really what they're going to see and walking out with smiles on their faces and excited for when we're going to bring in something else that's unique. And, and we're mixing it in with Dirty Dancing and uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And, you know, we did a, a late night showing of The Thing on Saturday night when it was 25 below and we sold out. And there was, an <laughs> there was an applause at the beginning and there was an applause at the end and people were just on cloud nine leaving. So that gives us some uh, fuel to keep going and, and gets us excited uh, for every weekend. I never knew I wanted to, to see the thing in snowy South Dakota, but now, I, now that's a bucket list thing. <laughs> that movie always makes me want to have whiskey afterwards. You have that, that final yes. scene of Kurt Russell just like, you know, yeah. straight from the bottle. I'm like, yeah, that sounds yeah. like a great idea. <laughs> so you'd mentioned that you found the old organ, like it was in somebody's barn or garage or something? Yeah, you know, it got plucked out of the state theater um, in the 70s, like 1972. And luckily, they all have serial numbers on them. And we were able to track it down. Someone had reached out and it was in their barn in like Big Lake, Minnesota. Um, they were going to bring it back to life, but never got around to it because, again, it is another huge project. But we got it here. It's in storage, but we have all the, the, the pipes and the, you know, percussion instruments that would have went along with it. It's all accounted for. But now it's just um, a, another phase to getting that brought back to life in the theater. We'd love to restore it to how it originally functioned, just so you could hear that, you know, in the theater space, uh, we think would be really exciting. So what else needs to be done at the state? I know it's it's open, but it's only restored partially at this point. Yeah, the main floor of the auditorium is open. We still um, are looking to open our balcony uh, there is a second floor, you know, mezzanine and where our office spaces. And then a third floor, there was a manager's apartment. And we really would like to get a second screen in there, like a little micro cinema. Um, so it's a huge building. It's 24,000 square feet. We have a massive basement that had the, you know, dressing rooms for the vaudeville. And that's a, another phase as well. So we're just excited. We're going to see what the community needs and where we kind of grow and evolve and, and be able to finish the building. That would be fascinating if you guys can get a, a micro cinema in that site. It's one of those concepts that uh, Rebecca and I covering the industry, we've seen really explode little by little in other countries. You see right now, especially coming out of COVID restrictions in markets like South Korea, micro cinemas operating like private karaoke booths where folks coming in, 
putting on a private rental, putting on a private party with five people, you know, in that quarantine pod. It's really something that we expect to see a little bit more coming out of COVID-19. Yeah, it's it's awesome. I mean, even people showing their family home videos or, you know, being able to rent it out as meeting space. We just feel like it's a really useful area. It's very cool. It's like, am I supposed to be here or not? So we're, we're really excited about that part. Well, to, to finish up, was there anything else that, that you'd like to mention that you, uh, that you would like people to know about the State Theater? You know, we are just so excited to have people into the State Theater watching movies again. And like I said, so many people just walked by it for who have lived here their entire lives and never been able to come in and see the beautiful architecture and design of that was just right here in front of everybody. I mean, it really is a gem. Thanks again to our guests from the State Theater. The Box Office Podcast is produced by Record Edit Podcast and the Box Office Company and written by Rebecca Polly and myself. Please join us next week where we will not only be having a podcast, but we will also be going live with one of our live webinar sessions online on March 3rd. The Giants of Exhibition 2021, where Box Office Pro will be revealing the list of the top 50 circuits in the North American market. We'll have a great panel conversation with four representatives of the largest exhibition circuits in North America. To register, please go to boxofficepro.com. You'll be able to find a link under the live sessions tab so you can uh, tune in to that free webinar. And following that March 3rd webinar, Rebecca, you've got another one on March 8th that looks pretty interesting. I'm very excited about this one. So this is a panel that Box Office Pro is putting on in conjunction with Women in Exhibition, which is a really great nonprofit group dedicated to uplifting and supporting women in the worldwide theatrical exhibition space. So on March 8th, International Women's Day, uh, we are having our first Box Office Pro We panel on how to navigate a shifting career landscape. Uh, you can register now by going to boxofficepro.com and again, looking for that live sessions link. Thanks again to our guests and thank you again to our listeners. We'll be back with you for our 50th episode next week. <laughs> <laughs>